Hey guys, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. So chapter 16 is continuing with Surah Al-Kaf, and we are now on the story of Prophet Musa salam and his quest to find the person who Allah said was smarter than him. So Musa finds this person, Khidr, and asks him to teach him. And Khidr told him, you won't have any patience to understand. But Musa insisted, and Khidr told him, then don't ask any questions until I give you an explanation myself. So Musa agreed, and they began. So the first place Prophet Musa salam and Khidr go is on a huge ship. Khidr breaks apart part of the ship, so now there's a huge hole in it. And Musa immediately says, what are you doing? Did you just make a huge hole in the ship to drown its people? That's so wrong. Khidr says, see, I told you, you won't have the patience to understand. So Musa quickly apologized and said that, you know, he forgot and that, you know, he'll be more careful next time. So Musa and Khidr continue and now they come across a little boy. And what does Khidr do? Khidr kills the boy. And again, Musa immediately says, dude, did you just kill an innocent little boy? How could you do that? That's horrible. Khidr then responds, didn't I tell you you wouldn't be able to have the patience to understand and you're still asking questions? Musa replied, fine. If I ask another question again, then you can send me away. So Musa and Khidr continue and they reach a town where they ask people for some food, you know, because they didn't have any. But none of the people wanted to give them anything. So while they were there, Khidr saw a random mall that was about to collapse. So he fixed it up. And Musa tells him, uh, you know, you could have just asked them for money in exchange for fixing their wall. He was basically indirectly asking, why did you help the people who wouldn't even give us food? So Khidr said, okay, that's it, we're done. I'll explain it to you now, but we're done after this. So Khidr explains why he did what he did. So for the hole he put in the ship, he said it belonged to some poor people and their king was bad and was going to take away the ships he wanted. But now that it had damage, the king wasn't going to take it. So now the poor people get to keep their ship. I mean, what's better? A ship that has damage that you can fix or no ship at all. So for the young boy Khidr killed, he explains that the boy would have grown up to become really evil. He was going to put his parents through a lot of pain and misery and even lead them out of Islam. So he killed the boy in order to save his parents from the pain and Allah had blessed them with a daughter that was righteous to them. Now I know some may be asking, how did Khidr know all these things? Well, that's because Allah says that he was the one who gave Khidr this knowledge. Allah gave him these revelations and some scholars even believe that Khidr might have been even a prophet. It just wasn't specifically stated. So for the third scenario of Khidr fixing up the broken wall in the town, he said that there were two orphans whose dad left them behind money and treasure hidden within the wall. So Khidr fixed the wall so that others wouldn't find it and the orphans would be able to get their money once they grew older. So in all of these examples, they seemed super random and, and many of them seemed really bad on the outside, like damaging a ship, killing a young boy. I mean, who would possibly think that something good can come out of from it? But Allah knows best. Allah is all knowing and he knows what we do not. There is wisdom in everything Allah does. So many times bad things will happen in our lives and we won't understand why it happened. But as soon as we change our perspective, as soon as we admit that everything Allah does, He does for the best, then you will never look at a bad situation as bad anymore. There will be no such thing as bad situations because if you trust Allah, then you will 100% believe that every situation is a good situation. Lost your job? Good situation. Divorced? Good situation. Dying of cancer? Good situation. Allah says there is always something good that comes out of a bad situation. We might not understand how someone dying of cancer might be considered good, but Allah knows the good that will come out from that situation too. We saw in this story that even the Prophet Musa couldn't understand and you know he got frustrated too. It's just human nature. But 
this is why next time something bad happens, try and look at the bigger picture. Trust Allah's plan and accept that this is for the best. So now the story of Zulkarnain. Zulkarnain was a very powerful king who Allah blessed with great strength, great wealth, a great army, and great wisdom. He had conquered many lands, and what was great about him was how just he was, how kind he was, and whatever land he would go, he would help the people. Now the story goes that Zulkarnain traveled west, where he met a group of people who were oppressed, and Allah told him, you have two options. You can either destroy them, or you can save them. Any other king this powerful could have just easily taken over the land and taken the people and their resources. But instead, he helped the people. He took down all the criminals and oppressors and he rewarded the good people. He helped them get back up on their feet. He then traveled east and met another group of people. Again, these people were savages who didn't even have proper clothing or government. And he helped these people create a society. He taught them whatever he could. So he continued to travel until he reached a city with people who were very primitive. They used a language he couldn't even understand. It's as if, the, you know, they were living like cavemen. He could have easily just avoided them, but he got a translator and he took the time to understand and help them. Those people offered to give him money if he could help them against the people of Yajuj and Majuj. Now, they're talking about Gog and Magog, who Allah said would come before the Day of Judgment to wage war against the entire world. So this is prophesied, this is something huge. So the king told them, it's okay, I don't need your money because, I mean, look at what Allah, alhamdulillah, has given me. Of course I will help you, but I'm going to need your help in building this wall to stop Gog and Magog. To which they agreed. So they built this huge metal wall between two mountains to stop Gog and Magog. Now any person who's this rich, this powerful, this strong has no need for Allah. He has everything, but yet he still feared Allah. He was still humble and he still admit that all of his achievements, they weren't his. They were all due to Allah. He told his people, this wall will only last for as long as Allah wants it to, meaning he knows his achievements aren't going to last forever. We can achieve trophies and amazing jobs and launch a company, but they will only last as long as Allah wants them to. So Allah says the sign of the Day of Judgment is that Gog and Magog will finally break free and they will cause chaos and destruction in the world. So that's the end of the story of Zulkarnain. So if you guys forgot, Allah revealed these three stories, the people of the cave, story of Khidr, and Zulkarnain, because the Jews put the prophet on the spot again to test him to see if he really knew this knowledge. The Jews assumed that he wouldn't know and that he'd have to ask another Jewish historian or something. But again, Allah revealed these stories with more detail than their own people knew about. So did the Jews finally accept that the prophet's knowledge came from Allah and not a person? Nope. So Allah tells the prophet to ask the people, do you want to know who are going to be the biggest losers in the world? It's the people who put all their effort into this world. The people who are so happy and so proud of their achievements in this world. The companies they've started, the houses they've bought, the degrees that they have, the cars they drive. Those people who didn't put a single effort for the hereafter, they are losers. None of those achievements will help them get out of hell. They chose to have fun and enjoy this world and ignored Allah's message, so Allah will ignore them on the Day of Judgment. Say you're in English class. Your exam is to write a three-page essay, but instead, you draw this picture of a breathtaking sunset. It's absolutely gorgeous and would bring tears to a person's eyes, but you still get an F on the test. Why? Well, because the test was about writing an essay, not drawing a picture. Doesn't matter how amazing the picture was and how much effort you put in, the exam was about the essay. So do you get what I'm trying to say? Some of you might be doing amazing work in this world, changing lives, helping people, which is all great. But it doesn't mean anything if you don't complete the main assignment the way Allah told you to complete it. 
So this is where Surah Kaf ends and chapter 16 continues with Surah Maryam. So the background of this surah is that it was revealed during the period where the Muslims migrated from Mecca to Abyssinia. The idol worshippers, the people of Quraysh, became a lot more violent now to stop the spread of Islam. They started killing and torturing new converts. They wouldn't pay them for their jobs if they knew they were Muslim. So things got very bad and the Prophet ﷺ told his people to migrate to Abyssinia where there is a Christian king who is very nice and good to his people. So the Muslims slowly started migrating and the Quraysh got upset. You'd think they'd be happy that the Muslims were finally gone, but no, they wanted them back so they can continue torturing the Muslims. So some of the chiefs of Quraysh went to Abyssinia to tell the king, hey, these immigrants are evil. They don't even believe in your religion. You should send them back to us. The king said he would hear the Muslims out and so he called them to him. He asked them to recite a verse from their book. So Jafar bin Talib, one of the Prophet's companions, recited a portion of Surah Maryam which talks about Prophet Jesus and the king heard it and he cried so hard his beard was drenched. He said, your book is definitely from the same God as Jesus. So he let them stay and he told the Quraysh, get out of here. So that's the background. So the surah begins with Prophet Zechariah asking Allah for a child who can continue guiding the future generations. He himself was impotent, meaning him and his wife couldn't have babies. So Allah agrees and says, you know, don't worry, I'll give you a son, Yahya, which is John in the Bible. So Zechariah spent the following three days constantly praising Allah and making zikr, something we don't even do. When we get good news, we just say Alhamdulillah once, you know, maybe we'll offer two nafil, but that's it. We get so busy, you know, spreading the good news around and wanting to tell the whole world that we don't end up protecting ourselves from the evil eye. So Yahya was born and when he reached the age of maturity, Allah blessed him with prophethood at a very young age, gave him knowledge of the Torah and also blessed him with immense compassion and piety, meaning he was a great servant of Allah and was also a really good son to his parents. What many don't know is that Prophet Yahya was six months older than Jesus. So this was still before Prophet Jesus became a huge deal. But the Quran doesn't go much further with Yahya's story in the surah. It's just meant to teach the people a lesson that Allah can make the impossible happen. Zechariah and his wife were not able to have any babies yet Allah made it happen like this. All we have to do is ask and trust Allah. Allah tells the Prophet ﷺ to tell the story of Maryam and how she would seclude herself from the people to focus on her worship to Allah. At that time, Allah sent down an angel in the form of a human to tell Maryam that Allah has decided to give her a baby. He's trying to mentally prepare her for all of this. And of course, she was surprised and asked, how? And again, Allah said that anything I want to happen simply just happens. So when she became pregnant, she secluded herself even more away from the people because she didn't want them judging her or asking questions. So when she had baby Isa, she took her baby back to her people. And at that time, Allah had already told her, just fast your mouth, meaning don't talk. If anyone says anything, just keep quiet. The more you talk, the more you'll just get yourself in trouble. So when she brought her baby, of course, everyone was enraged. That how could you do this? How could you have a baby if you've never even been married? What a sin. So what did Maryam do? She just pointed to her baby. And the people said, what? You expect us to talk to a baby? And that's when the baby spoke and said, I am a servant of Allah. Allah has granted me the book and made me a prophet. Allah has blessed me and told me to make salah and give zakat for as long as I'm alive. He tells the people, Allah is my Lord and is your Lord, so worship Him alone. So yeah, this is what's supposed to be a huge miracle for the people. Again, Allah clarifies that Prophet Isa, Jesus is not His son. Allah does not need a son. So did the people believe this huge miracle? Did they believe a talking baby? Nope. Some did, but the rest just started arguing over it. 
Allah says the day of regret will come, the day of judgment, while people are so busy fighting over petty things, over silly things. Imagine your house is on fire, burning. You need to leave like right now, but you're not leaving until you hang all your clothes. Sounds stupid, right? That's exactly how you should feel about all the other things you're worried about. Getting that new phone or buying a dress for that party, your best friend talking behind your back, these are all petty things that will not matter. So as I explained in the background for the surah, the Muslims were basically being forced to immigrate because of the Quraysh. The Quraysh were even kicking out their own close family and friends who believed in Allah. So Allah tells the Prophet ﷺ to tell them about the Prophet Ibrahim again, since Ibrahim was also exiled by his family. Ironically, the people of Quraysh believed they were descendants of Prophet Ibrahim, yet they totally forgot the part that he also believed in Allah too. So the Prophet tells the Quraysh that look, Ibrahim also believed in Allah. He was also exiled too because his father and his nation didn't want to give up their idol worshipping. No matter how angry and nasty his dad got with him, the Prophet Ibrahim remained nice to them all. See, we start off nice too, right? But then when someone is being rude to us, that's when we get on their level, or even a level above to put them in their place. Of course, it's difficult to control your emotions, but it's something we should all practice. Now this becomes a lesson for the Muslims as well. That don't you think it was hard for Prophet Ibrahim to leave his family and his people behind? He was also persecuted and attacked the same way the Quraysh are attacking the Muslims right now. This is why us Muslims should stay strong and have the courage to immigrate to Abyssinia. Next, Allah mentions the story of Prophet Musa, Prophet Harun, Prophet Ismail, and then Prophet Idris. And the thing is, all these prophets are being referenced to make a point that they were all children of Adam. They are all descendants of Prophet Noah's people and Prophet Ibrahim's people. They all accepted Islam, and yet the people who came after them lost their way. They stopped praying because they were too busy chasing their money and their desires. You people, the Quraysh, you people say you're descendants of these people, yet you don't even follow the message they brought. The irony, it's crazy. The people at that time did not believe in the life after death or the hereafter. They just couldn't understand that how could they come back to life after they die? And Allah responds by saying, well, I created you from nothing, right? Meaning you were technically dead before and you came to life. Of course I can do it again. So that's where Surah Maryam ends and the chapter continues with Surah Taha. So this surah was thought to have also been revealed around the same time of Surah Maryam, while the Muslims were migrating to Abyssinia. So the surah starts off by saying that the Quran was sent down to make our lives easier and better. It wasn't sent to make our lives difficult. We make our lives difficult. Our desires make our lives difficult. So immediately, the surah jumps into the story of Prophet Musa The Quran tells us details about Musa's story that wasn't told to us before. Prophet Musa was traveling from a city called Midian back to Egypt, where on his way, he saw a fire and it was nighttime, so he went towards the fire to stay warm. That's where he met Allah and was given his first revelation about prophethood, how Allah had chosen him to carry out this mission. Again, Musa couldn't see Allah, just talking. So Allah is giving instructions to Musa to start making salah, to remember and stay close to Allah. How the end is near for the non-believers and how Prophet Musa must go and spread the message. Allah asked Musa, so what's that in your hands? Obviously he knew what it was a staff, but Allah is just making a conversation. Musa says, oh, this, this is my staff. I lean on it when I walk and I use it to herd my animals too. I also use it for a lot of other things. So this tiny detail of their conversation is to show that the Prophet Musa Islam just really wanted to talk as long as possible to Allah. He could have easily just said, you know, yeah, this is my staff, that's it. But he was enjoying his conversation with Allah so much that he was just trying to keep the convo going. Kind of cute, right? 
MashaAllah. So Allah tells Musa to throw the stick down and it turns into a snake. And he tells him, you know, don't worry, just grab it and it'll go back to normal. Allah is basically giving Musa a tutorial of all the miracles he's gifted him. And then Allah tells him, okay, now it's time to go to the Pharaoh and tell him to accept Islam and let the Israelites go. Prophet Musa makes a very famous dua, the same dua that all the khutbah and speeches begin with nowadays. The whole thing is a bit longer, but it's basically Musa asking Allah to give him the courage, the skills in order to be more confident in this task, to make this task easy for him and loosen his tongue so that he doesn't mess up and so that everyone can understand him. It's a great dua to recite anytime you have to talk anywhere important. Court, school project, on stage for a speech, for your sister's wedding, anything. Musa then asked Allah if he could assign someone from his family to help him with this mission. His brother Harun, who was three years older than him. So Allah accepted this request and made his brother Harun a prophet as well to help Musa. This is another great example of how important it is to surround yourself with good Muslims. It's hard to do things alone. Other Muslim friends can help you stay strong. Allah tells Musa, I'll help you whenever you need help. In fact, I even helped you before when you were a baby, when I told your mom to put you in the basket and float you down the river. At that time, the Pharaoh was killing all the Jewish babies because he heard a prophecy that one of them would grow up to take down the king. So in order to save Musa from the enemy, Allah floated Musa right to the enemy. Yeah, the Pharaoh's wife is the one who found the baby in the river and told her husband, the Pharaoh, to adopt the baby, which later on, you know, he became the prince of Egypt. Of course, the prince grew up in wealth. He was educated, he was a very kind man, and many of the poor people would ask him for his help. So as Musa is walking one day, he sees a guard beating up another person over something small. He tries to go and talk to the guard, but the guard gets agitated. He didn't know that Musa was the king's son. Out of nowhere, something came over Musa and he punched the guard so hard that he died. Musa was shook. He knew he just committed a crime that was punishable by death. So he ran off to the city of Midian where he stayed for seven years and went through other trials. That's where the story started in the surah. Musa was finally going back to Egypt from the city of Midian where he stayed for seven years. Allah said that he made all of that happen. Allah led Musa to Midian and put him through all of these obstacles in order to prepare Musa for his big mission to go to Egypt and go up against the Pharaoh. Do you see how crazy it is the way Allah helps us? Who in their right minds would believe that putting a baby in a basket and floating it down the river could possibly be a good option? All those crazy things that happened to Musa, that was before he even knew he was a prophet. So imagine how anxious he must have been to have gone through all of that. But it was all part of Allah's plan to train him, to prepare him. Similarly, we all have crazy things that happen in our lives all the time. And we get scared and anxious. But just take a breath. Remind yourself you are part of Allah's plan. Allah is preparing you for His plan. Trust Allah that every obstacle or problem in your life is Allah's way of helping you. So Prophet Musa and Harun go to Egypt and Allah specifically tells them, make sure you speak nicely to the Pharaoh. Just the fact that this detail is mentioned should show to everybody that Islam is a very peaceful religion. Allah is literally reminding the Prophet, just be nice because maybe you might be able to get through to him. Because it's important, when we try and educate ignorant people about the things that they don't know or things that they're doing wrong, it's very important that we don't come across as rude or demeaning, which everyone in today's society is so bad at. So you know the rest of the story. Musa went to the king, the king asked for a sign, Musa's staff turned into a snake, he was accused of being a magician, the other magicians came for a showdown, and Musa proved his power was beyond magic. 
The magicians bowed down and submit themselves to Allah, and Pharaoh was furious. Later down the road, Allah tells the Prophet Musa to take his people and escape during the night. And that's where Musa parted the Red Sea, the Pharaoh and his army were chasing behind them, and then whoosh, the Pharaoh and his army were all drowned. And then how after, how Musa took his people to a separate land. He left them for 40 days so he could go and receive revelation from Allah. And then when he comes back, he sees that his people made a statue of a cow and started worshipping it. And of course, Musa was furious. He was like, dude, what are you people doing? Allah just saved you and now you're worshipping idols again? And so Musa explained to them the severe punishment of shirk. Musa's story is being told as an example to the Quraysh. That in this story, the Quraysh are like Pharaoh's people. They have armies and power. But against Allah, they are powerless. And how again? If they say they are descendants of Ibrahim and Musa, then they should understand how their prophets were against shirk and idol worshipping. Even Prophet Adam's story is mentioned and how Prophet Adam was tricked by shaitan into eating from the tree. But as soon as Adam realized his mistake, he repented and changed his ways. Allah is trying to point out to the Quraysh that shaitan has tricked them into thinking that idol worshipping is the true religion of their prophets when it's not. Allah is saying, take our message. Take the signs that we are giving you. Every challenge you give us, you know, when they're like, oh, we challenge you to do this, we take it and we win. So how are you still being so stubborn? Allah clearly says, anyone who turns away from Allah and ignores their duties as a Muslim will have a life full of hardship. They will live a depressed and miserable life. Sure, they might even be millionaires and be super successful in this world, but they will never have genuine peace or happiness. So Allah tells the Prophet I haven't decided to destroy these people yet, so you're gonna have to stay patient with them a little longer and keep trying your best. And most importantly, stay strong with your Salah. This is your biggest tool for success. Did you hear that people? Salah, Namaz is the most powerful tool against hardship and yet we don't use it. Or even if we do pray, we pray in a hurry. We are distracted the whole time. I mean, what kind of Salah is this? You want your minimum effort to open all the doors for you in this world. But unfortunately, that's just not how it works. You want answers from Allah? You want help from Allah? Then make your Salah better. So this is where the Surah and Chapter 16 both end. Surah Al-Anbiya begins in Chapter 17. 